This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. You know, the different types of accounts that you can open to invest offshore. It's still Ali and Roy, and welcome back. <laughs> Always a pleasure to be here. So, uh, help a lot of, you know, educate anybody who might want to go into offshore, how to go about it. We didn't have priors to this, so for me it was hard. But if I can make it easier, I'm glad to always do that. So, for Investing just like we invest here in Kenya, you can do it by yourself. So you become an individual investor. You become your own, you know, investment manager. So you buy and sell according to whichever criteria you're looking at. Could be the financial, it could be the information, whichever it is. Or you can have somebody do that on your behalf. So you have, for instance, Unitrust. So Unitrust, they input money from investors and invest on their behalf. So you have the money market funds, uh, noted as MMF. There is also the balance funds, so they have both uh, bonds and stocks in there. And also you have bond funds. So that would be your options when you come here to Kenya. But if you're going to go offshore, the options are just too many. Well, you can look for a hedge fund, that's one. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a criteria you need to meet, which is uh, liquid assets or, you know, your assets should be at least above a million dollars. Luckily for now, you have actively managed ETFs and they charge, just like any hedge funds, the difference being that this uh, will be in certain sections. So you have, for instance, the innovation like ARC, which is an ETF run by Catherine Woods, done very amazingly well. The, the ticker symbols ARKK, so they focus on innovation. So they look for innovative companies. So you'll find they have Tesla in there, they have SQ, which is Square. And their management is actually very you know, commendable. They charge 0.75. As the management fee, here in Kenya you charge 3%, right? So, huge difference. So, you could buy into ETFs. There are 12,600 ETFs, as I say, they do a lot in helping investors have access to offshore stocks, especially those who are going to be inactive investors. So, last time we talked about the different types of accounts. So, I'm looking at a prospective investor who is like, okay, so. I have the money now, this is the money, and I know that I want to open a managed account. I know that I want to open an individual account. When exactly are these accounts opened, or rather, what are the platforms where they can you know, open these accounts and either their fund manager can trade on their behalf or they can trade for themselves? Okay, so for that, I'd say, you know, you can't be interactive brokers. 
I'm a client to interactive brokers, but I am not affiliated with them whatsoever. It's good to you know have that disclosure. But they have a platform where you'll be happy to have. There's a bit of a learning curve to it because you need to learn how this platform works. They have everything in there. They have CFDs, they have crypto, they have stocks, options, futures. It's all in one, right? It's like one supermarket, just like you go to the supermarket and you buy everything you need. It's the same thing with interactive brokers. Now, from there on, they have a marketplace where you can look for funds or hedge funds where now you can attach your account to them. Right? So you have access to your account, so it's the account management part, but the trading is done on your behalf. So that's simply as, as it is. So you're able to view your account anytime of day, whether you're sleeping, whether you're in the house, could be in a different country as well. As long as you can get online, that's it. You just go and put your you know, password and that's it. You can access and see whether the, how the client is, how the manager is doing on your behalf. So I cannot say, like, say for Bricklane, we do the same, but I cannot tell you that we are up 20% and you actually have no way of verifying this is true. You will see it on your end. So you don't necessarily need to call somebody and say, um, I need to know how we did this year. You will see it on your report from your side. So I cannot tell you you're up 20% and you have no way of confirming. You'd have known that way before I even tell you we are up 20% this year. So I mean, you talked about how you can view your position rather than changes to a platform like Interactive Brothers. Just to get clarity, you know, if a platform like Interactive Brothers essentially an interface as to you know, what you do with my money or how does this exactly work? Before the Robin Hoods, uh, you know, and Webull, uh, which are other different brokers, I came with the, you know, you can trade for free. Interactive brokers are primarily focused on institutions, not really individuals, right? So you find even before, you know, the Webull and, you know, Robin Hood, they had a minimum of 10,000 for any individual that needed to open an account with them. Now that got dropped because, you know, the new millennials are looking for cheaper brokerage and uh, Robin Hood fit that criteria. So for them to maintain or even attract more millennial investors, they had to do away with that. So you find it's really easy for you to open one. If, for instance, you're Kenyan, I did one which, you know, for to show people how it goes, I'm yet to, um, the video, I'm yet to edit it properly, but took 48 hours, you're done. Did it on a Friday, got the same approved on Monday by 6 p.m. So it's really easy. It's for institutions. But, you know, getting back to the point is Interactive Brokers was built for institutions and it helps now, for instance, not everybody has a lot of knowledge, especially when it comes to offshore investing, right? You need to understand, for instance, generally accepted accounting, which is very different from the accounting standards we use here in Kenya, which is the IFRS. And um, there's a lot of things that you need to understand about stocks. You need to learn the industry, what moves it, what information is coming out, you need to learn how to read the 10K, which is 
the annual reports which are sent to the Security and Exchange Commission. Depending on what you actually do, if you know, you're a fundamental investor, these are the things you need to learn. You need to learn about the 10Q, the 13Gs. You know, they code these documents for a reason. So a 13G is when a company buys more than 5% of the shares outstanding. So they have to file with the SEC. And um, you also need to learn when are the annual reports coming out? When are they announcing their earnings report as well? So there's a lot to learn. So not everybody has both the time and energy to keep on, you know, looking at all this. And most people just want their money to work for them, not, you know, get so much engaged with them. So essentially, there are those options where you can even just simply buy an ETF. You don't necessarily have to. Um, too much so you can buy ETF. There's also uh, mutual funds as well. Same thing we have here as Unitrust, they call them mutual funds there. Um, there's also indices where you know you can buy an index that is, for instance, tracking the SP 500 stocks, and you're good to go. Somebody will be doing you know the allocation and everything for you, but you get to enjoy the fruits in, in terms of the performance. Just to work you back a little bit, you talked about the difference in accounting used in companies abroad and in Kenya. How different is it? In accounting, so you find uh, they have different set of rules on how, okay, they have different accounting rules, which is generally accepted accounting principle. So they call it the GAP or the GAP. Depending. So the difference might not be so much because once you use to IFRS, you can as well just switch to a GAP or the GAP. But it might take you some learning curve to get into in par and work your way up into understanding how it works. Again, as I said, not everybody has an issue in this, right? might be easier for analysts here in Kenya to do the same. might take them maybe a year, maybe less, maybe more. But give or take, I'd say that there's no so much difference, but you need to learn how they structure their uh, financial statement. If you're going to focus on the fundamental perspective, you don't necessarily need to be a fundamental analyst. You can be a technical analyst and you still could make money. It's riskier, but it's possible between a fundamental analyst and a technical analyst because the times are getting lost. So fundamental analysts are the guys who go to look into the value of the company. So they want to know the intrinsic value, right? So you get like for instance Warren Buffett is you know, a fundamental analyst who focus more on that and uh, you try to find what is the value of this company. I want to know at least given a range, I'd easily say it's worth giving, you know, maybe worth between 10 shillings and maybe around 20 shillings. And if you find that, you know, the stock probably is priced at maybe three, then you have that gap between your estimated value and you buy, you know, making, uh, focusing on that the difference gets close within a certain time frame. Could be two years three years, never know, could be even a month. So once that gap is closed between the three and the 10, you know, then you've made money because, you know, you'll make money if the stock actually goes all the way to 10.
right? So for fundamental, I think the best is you need to focus on catalyst. As much as somebody will tell you our stock is you know undervalued, what will make the same people who made the same mistake, who are the investors, correct the same mistake, right? So you need a catalyst for that. So I see a lot of, for instance, in Kenya, you find everybody telling you, you know, this stock is 33% undervalued, that's fine. But what will make it go up? What will make it change from the undervaluation to fairly priced or even fully priced? That is what is missing. And that you need to focus more on that. So you telling, uh, for instance, pitching a stock, give people what is going to be different this time that, you know, isn't there as currently is. Technical analysts are people who focus more on charts, right? So you want to see the price chart, what has happened, and they look for, you know, breakouts. They look for a way to make money from whatever the chart is saying, right? So you find them look for both flags, their patterns that they look for, breakouts, and then they buy into that strength and the stock. There are percentages on you know, which one they could be failure, they could be failure on certain patterns, hence they focus more on risk management by having stop loss on each position that they actually take. So they focus more on patterns than anything fundamental. They might not even know how financial statement looks like or what it says. So for them, it's just about price chart and volume. I have a question that, yeah. All right. Who is likely to be a short-term trader between a fundamental analyst and technical analyst given that these two investors would look at different metrics for the performance of a company? The short-term would definitely be the technical analyst. The fundamental are most likely to sit in and wait for the stock to reprice. Technical analysts, no. If whatever they're looking at, right, could be whichever pattern doesn't actually work over a given period of time, they have a stop loss and once it gets hit, they're out of the position. They might look at it, it gives another go at trying maybe to break out of a certain uh, pattern, but yeah, for them it's shorter. In, in the stock market for you, the only two ways to make money, you have to be in two extremes. One, be a long-term investor and almost trade never, right? You just buy and give or take is like you buy and hold forever. The other extreme is you have to trade a lot. You just need to avoid to be in between the two. You have two extremes, so you have to choose one. With long-term investment where you're buying forever, all the other guys who just keeps on trading and they're in and out looking for you know those opportunities that are small but short-term as well. Just to get more clarity on what, what you said earlier, um, how would a long-term investor who sort of buys a position and efforts essentially forever make money? Well, you first need to find an idea. That's the hardest part actually, is you looking for an idea. So you want to buy a stock, that's okay. Which stock do you want to buy? Why would that? Why would you want to even buy that stock, right? So you can screen for stocks, right? You go to a free scanning or you know screening tools. Finviz is one, so you go to finviz.com. They will give you, you know, a myriad of, uh, 
sample you can use. You can use uh, market cap, which is the market capitalization of the stock. You can use price, you can use book value, you can use uh, price to earning ratio. It's very good, especially if you're a starter, but just undervaluation by itself does not mean that the stock is going to reprice or you're going to make money out of it. For now, for instance, in the US, the value part has moved from focusing on just the, you know, the tangible assets to intangible assets. Right? because there are now more tech companies and whatnot. So the intangible playing a bigger role and valuing the intangible is a bit hard than it used to be with the tangible. You could easily say a house is valued at this price because you know next door somebody sold about the same price. You cannot say the same for intangible. So there's still that um, you know back and forth on how exactly to properly price the intangible assets. And what, what are some of these intangible assets that you're talking about? It could be brands, it could be brands, it could be technology. Those are the kind of you know intangible assets you're looking into because Facebook is a big name, right? But what is the value of Facebook? Right? So you need to come up with that. For instance, if I was to give an example here in Kenya is Safaricom, they do advertise about, they use about 3 million every year. So what is the value of Safaricom? What is the word Safaricom worth? So the brand equity. The brand equity of it, yes. What is it worth? And how do you actually come up with a good value of it? Right? It's easy to say, you know, they own certain assets and you know they can be valued. You can look for values to do that. But how do you value what Safaricom is worth as a brand? So that's the hardest part about you know moving from tangible to intangible assets. Uh, with regards to brand equity, so I have a question. Yeah. Is it possible that a company could have a good brand equity? I know that globally Google and Coca-Cola sort of compete for the top spot and still have a poor performing stock because of other reasons. Well, yeah, you know, when you're buying Coca-Cola, for instance, what is Coca-Cola? I mean, you know, it's sugar-coated water, so there's nothing else you buy from Coca-Cola. <laughs> they just have water and sugar in a bottle and that's it. But what is the brand equity of that? You go anywhere, you'll find Coca-Cola in each and every part you go, in Kenya, outside Kenya. So, you know, what is the value of this? If you're going to buy Coca-Cola, Probably, you know, more than 50% of what you're going to buy will be the, just the brand equity, right? That's it. So, you know, I know, you know, the world is moving from, you know, too much sugar into a healthier lifestyle. That might affect them. I don't know, you know, how that's going to work. But, you know, that's, that's the brand equity you have in Coca-Cola. That's the biggest thing you're going to buy. Not the sugar-coated water. Everybody can put sugar-coated water in a bottle. But you can advertise like they do. I feel like I would agree to disagree here. <laughs> and my, my basis would be uh, the transition of you know, Coca-Cola moving to healthier drinks to Coke Zero and Coke Bad. And I understand that recently they they are shedding sort of a couple of brands because of reasons that are slightly beyond me. We talked about interactive brokers in detail here. Yeah. Do we have any other platforms that you know that still offer the same services? Kenya, we've been blacklisted by the Treasury, the US Treasury. Now, 
um, why would we be blacklisted by U.S. Treasury? Well, because first of all, corruption is one thing, money laundering, you know, any type of, you know, funny way to have to clean your money, that will become a problem for the U.S. They want legit people who have worked hard and they've saved to get where they are, right? Not people who just use some shortcuts way to make money, quick money, and then try to invest that money. They don't want that kind of money coming into their jurisdiction. So the blacklisting has definitely caused us a big problem. We do not have so many brokers that can take Kenyans as clients, right? If you do have a secondary uh, citizenship, you're lucky, right? But you know, most Kenyans don't have that. So you have very few brokers that do take Kenyans as clients. It's funny that you find in Nigeria, they have more brokers in the US that can take them than Kenya. It's the same thing in Tanzania, same thing in Uganda. It's not so good for us, right? So you have very few who actually will take you as a client. So yes, they are there. So for instance, if you're a short-term trader, you do have a couple of options. If you're a long-term trader, not, not so much, right? So interactive brokers will take you as one, as a long-term trader or a swing trader. There's also Saxo Bank. So Saxo Bank is uh, interactive brokers of your own. Right? So they have, I think, a subsidiary in South Africa, DMA. So DMA will take you as a client as well. I don't know, I think I should tell these guys a check for, you know, me advertising for them because... <laughs> but, yeah, so DMA is a subsidiary of... It's a subsidiary, it's a subsidiary of Saxophone. And um, they do have a minimum of 5,000 USD. Right, so five thousand dollars. You need to have that minimum in your account uh, when you do opening for individual. I'll be talking about individual. Then there is no minimum for that interactive broker. If you're going to try and um, be a day trader, right? There, there are those who could want to go there. First, take take your time. Learn. It's not easy as people think. Uh, this is where most people actually lose money. There's a lot of action and most people are attracted to the action. They are attracted to you making a thousand dollars, ten thousand in a day, you know, you know, you work for two hours and you earn ten thousand dollars. That's attractive. It pulls people. You see all this on YouTube videos and everything. There are those who are legit, not all of them, but the action is good, they will pull you up. So if you want to go that side, then you have a couple of them. You have Colmex, that's one. You have F1 Trade, and uh, which is the other one. There's F1 Trade, there's Colmex. I think those are the two most, I'd say. And then there's CMEG. But as usual, they'll need to have as much information about you before you open the account. As always, KYC is a big, big hurdle for most Kenyans. So yes, those are a couple. If you want to go the short-term trading way, if you want to long-term from interactive brokers and DMA, not so many other options. And of course, I need to say we do have our very own Kenyan. Uh, we do have Scope Markets. We do have FX Pesa. We do have Pepperstone. And I think Xfinity. They just got the uh, the license.
license few couple of days ago though most of them i see they advertising more on forex than stocks maybe whoever comes in with the stocks as part of the the product that they push uh, will be better off but they're focusing on forex in kenya you find that forex is more popular than stocks so hence they're pushing that as well again two questions on that why do you think forex is sort of more popular in kenya than stocks and also you mentioned something that's Um, not all platforms are quite as legit as they as they present themselves. How would you tell the difference, or how would a prospective investor tell the difference between a legit platform and a scam? I don't really have a way to say this, but number one, if for instance, let's say the ones who have already been approved by CMA, you know that's as legit as they come. Secondly, you also need others who have been approved by other offshore authorities, for instance, the Security and Exchange Commission. So, Interactive Brokers is actually a listed company. So, you know, that's as legit as they get. So, Saxo Bank is also a big, big uh, investment bank in Europe. So, that is okay as well. I don't have a problem with that. It's the rest, especially that deal with CFDs. I'm not so much sure about them, but that would work. You also, I think, could open an account with IG, right? So that is uh, UK-based. Also listed, yes, IG is listed as well. Yes, so IG is, is the other one. But if you're going to focus on stocks, maybe you want to focus more on, maybe interactive brokers will be the best you get. From my experience, if you're going for Kenyan, then look for scope markets, uh, paper stone. That you know now they're making, they're making they Though the problem is, the problem I say is the CFD part, which is contract for difference. Um, it's a derivative, and I think it's best that you learn how it works just before you get in. That will be, that will be the best way to go about. It. Even your position in Brooklyn and the PIF towards this, how much control does an investor who has managed investment with the fund manager course have with regards to the platform which will be used in this case? So there's account management and there's the trading part. So you could just give the option for trading, and that's it. So you have give or take you just do nothing but trade on behalf of the client this is also the other part where if you open for instance if it's a hedge fund then you have access to both the trading and the account management so it's all different most people like to just have or give away the trading part because they can you know the rest they want to get in and they can see what is going on how uh, you know my assets performed so yes you do have as much you know control as you would like they separately manage accounts as well which is what i'm actually pushing for or at least you know giving an example of so that one you just simply give away your trading rights i'd say but the rest you can easily access you can access your account anytime you want is the separately managed account sort of an in-between an individual account and a managed account or how would you define it is the same thing 
it just maybe you know the difference is the name you call you used to go to call it so a separately managed account is you have an account and then you have somebody who's managing that account you only have that's it so you open the account or you have the uh, manager open it on your behalf but it's a separately managed account Okay, I think that's really, really insightful. As we approach the close of the podcast, of course, do we have any parting shots to our listeners with regards to brokerage platforms? Well, uh, all I'd say is uh, the hardest part about opening one is simply the physical address. That's the hardest thing that, you know, most Kenyans don't have. Because for you to have uh, the address you need to have either on or land because if i'm going to send for instance if kplc comes to your house you need to apply for them to come and install electricity right so once they do that it will come under your name right that's what they actually look for they're looking for if for instance i was to look for ali where would i get ali right so i'm able to know a physical address i know ali lives in this place and I know that because the utility bill has his name under it, so I'm able to come and find it. So the hard part is just getting that, you know, utility bill under your name or having a physical address where we can come and look for Ali. So, you know, a title did works just as well. And I think those are the two options most Kenyans have, the utility bill or, you know, title deed. But opening it is, is not so hard. Once you have those two documents, that's it. You have the utility bill and you have uh, KRA pin and a bank statement. Pretty much this is the most they ask for. They will ask for a bank statement, but the last one I did, well, not so much. They didn't ask actually about the bank statement, but the physical address is the most important part. Okay, guys, that's it for our third episode. Thank you so much, Roy, for contributing to this information. And I can't wait to, you know, record the fourth one. As usual, we are very, very welcome to questions from our listeners. You can share the questions directly by email at info at kenyanwallstreet.com or you can send them via Twitter page at, um, at the Kenyan Wall Street. Roy, is there any way in which our listeners can reach you directly, just in case? Um, yeah, okay, so you can reach me directly. You can either call, which is easier for most listeners. I think it will be phone, right, or WhatsApp. So you can reach me at uh, 0722332856. So you can WhatsApp or call, whichever, you know, you find easier for you. Um, also on Twitter at Brooklyn Research or at Kenyan Inn which is, you know, Kenyans investing in offshore. We also have a Facebook group where you can reach out to us, which is Kenyan investing in offshore stocks group. Um, you know, ask anything you'd like to know. How how does it work? And work your way up if that's what you want. I mean, the dollar just went, you know, we're just breaking records every other day. So <laughs> could be best maybe you have a bit of dollars in your uh, portfolio. Uh, for the fact that we don't know what will happen to the Kenya shillings. As it is, we're what, 7% now? Uh, with, you know, 7% GDP is, you know, the, the debt is already 70%. 
Wow. And uh, the uncertainty is what is causing a lot of this uncertainty, right? For instance, we have BBI. Thereafter, we have elections in 2022. Thereafter, in 2024, we need to pay one of the euro bonds actually matures, so we need to come up with 1.5 billion. Those are the. <laughs> that's our four years from now. So that's how it probably look like. So, if you may be not sure you or you want an alternative to the NSC, you can always reach out and. We can help you the best way we can. All right, that's it. I, I feel like I, there's nothing to add on here. I know he has existed. Thank you for listening in today and goodbye. Goodbye.